0: Hello, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is a comics podcast, and this is your host, Elon Levin. And this is the comics podcast for readers who think that comics can speak to new audiences while also connecting them to the stories we love from comics past. And we'll be talking about a comic that does just that today. Joining me today is the author of a brand new original graphic novel from DC Comics, E. Lockhart. E. Lockhart is the number one New York Times bestselling author of We Were Liars. Other books include Again and Again and Times bestseller, L.A. Times Book Prize finalist, Genuine Fraud. Her novel, the Disreputable Hi- little His- <laughs> her novel, The Disreputable History of Frankie Landau Banks, was a Prince Honor and a National Book Award finalist. And Whistle is her new graphic novel, which is published by DC Comics. And here's a little bit about the graphic novel, which will give our listeners a sense of why I'm super into it. Um, Whistle, colon, A New Gotham City Hero, is an upcoming young adult graphic novel from DC, uh, with art um, written by E. Lockhart, with art by Manuel Pretiano from The Oracle Code. Featuring the debut and origin story of a brand new hero, Whistle takes a closer look at the daily life of Gotham teen, Willow Zimmerman, and her dog, Lebowitz in the unexplored neighborhood of Down River, so that's very much my jam. Welcome to the show e Thank you. Glad to be here. I have to tell you the story of how this interview happened i um I got an email from uh, you know editor, chief founder, et etc. of graphic policy, Brett Schechner uh, looping me in with a publicist and um it was like oh i think ilana would be excited to read about this and i had this moment of being like wait am i and then i read the blurb and i was like yes this is a hundred percent my shit so thank you for <laughs> it was like and Brit's like, oh my god i'm sorry i didn't mean to volunteer you i wasn't sure if you'd be like no 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 I, I i mean you did kind of volunteer me but you were a hundred percent allowed to volunteer me for this because this is a hundred percent my jam so Uh, Yeah, like graphic novel about a new Gotham hero who's a young Jewish activist teen and is exploring a very New York City feeling Gotham City with really charming art, like sign me up, sign me up. So welcome to the show.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, I had a huge blast writing this book. So it's really, you know, uh, it's fun to hear that you liked it and to have it out in the world finally.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So tell me how the project began. Well,
1: um, you know, I, I write novels for young adults, and I was at a convention um, of a particularly delightfully geeky kind. Um, LibraryCon is, I don't actually know if it still exists um, post-pandemic, but it's um, a conference for librarians who specialize in youth culture, pop culture, things like that. Right. So cool. uh, I was there and I was on this wonderfully embarrassing and wacky trivia panel where I was supposed to be answering trivia trivia questions. And the the, um, host was wearing Obi-Wan Kenobi robes. And I was basically failing to have any trivia answers whatsoever. And librarians in the audience, of course, all knew the answers. Um, So I had had this... uh, you know, I, I I love that kind of stuff. I, I, I get into it. I have a really fun time. But that does not mean that I'm any good at it. You know what I mean? So anyway, I was feeling all those complicated feelings about having made a fool of myself in public. And I was signing books. And the um, this editor from DC came up and asked me if um, we could have a phone chat. And she had read a book of mine called Genuine Fraud which has a lot of superhero content, um, mm. in a sort of buried way, but it, it surfaces here and there throughout the book. And, um, so long story short, um, next time I was in Los Angeles, I went over to the DC offices and they gave me this really sexy tour of the archives, um, by which I mean sexy to me, uh, book geek like I loved going into this room full of first editions and original art and movie memorabilia and you know you really got this very visceral sense of how much these DC Comics characters had meant to people over the years, how much variety there was within the storytelling for different characters, you know, how different people had reinvented these characters countless Mm -hmm. times and how much um, passion had gone into the creation of the comics and how far back in our, you know, American history they go. and. So by the time I left this archive tour, I was like, sign me up. Well, I have no idea what they want me to do, but I am pretty much on board to be, um, you know, writing something in the DC universe. And they invited me to invent a superhero and said, if I wanted to put her in Gotham City, that was cool. So um, they knew I liked Gotham and I said
0: yes. And that was it. I love it. I mean, saying to someone, would you like to invite and invent a new superhero is pretty much anybody who loves superheroes dream come true, I think.
1: Yeah, I was just like, how did I get to be the one invited to this party? You know, Um, but I was. So uh, I dove right in and it, you know, I might have imagined that what I would do, given the assignment to invent a new superhero is to, you know, make a list of 700 possible superheroes and flail around and not know um, what I wanted to do. But in fact, as I just immediately thought that I wanted to write this teenage girl in this, you know, kind of Lower East Side type of neighborhood of Gotham and that I wanted her to have canine powers and a canine sidekick. And that was clear from the really the minute I decided to invent a superhero. I just, I was like, oh, this is who she is.
0: I love it. Yeah. I mean, I, there are not enough canonically Jewish superheroes, of course. Um, and um, DC needed its own like Jewish teen girl superhero with big curly hair like that's been a gap in their offerings. <laughs> and now we have a DC character who does that. I, uh I would love to hear like, and I love that this is just like, no, no, this is the character we have to do. I'd love to hear like, what what is it that makes you really excited about Gotham as a setting in particular? Oh, the villains.
1: I just, um, you know, I grew up reading uh, superhero comics, Batman, Spider-Man, Hulk, Fantastic Four. And I think the villains of Gotham City are really just my favorite villains that I've encountered in the, you know, entire range of superhero content. Um, they have a certain flair, certain camp. Uh, it's, they're not always campy. Sometimes they're very terrifying. Yeah. But they sort of, you know, uh, they're all the way out there. And I really enjoy that, and uh, there's such a spirit of of play, um, you know, in the Joker and Catwoman and Poison Ivy, the Riddler, the Penguin, um, you know, all of these rogues are are just to me so much fun. So that is my primary motivation for putting um, whistle into Gotham. But also, I am in New York City resident. I've lived here my whole adult life, and uh I thought it would be really fun and interesting to look at the life of a teenager who's growing up in Gotham City, and what would that be like, and to create a particular neighborhood of Gotham City that we hadn't seen before, and mm-hmm. to get involved in the kind of more everyday, you know, family life, school, that kind of thing that's going on for the young people who would live in a city of such extremes.
0: And, you know, I there's so many comics that takes place in Gotham that I don't want to say anything definitively, but I have not seen Gotham look as New York, as this in anything, really. And I certainly feel like I haven't seen any Gotham recognize sort of like the the primally Jewish nature of, you know, a neighborhood like the Lower East Side and like... I just haven't seen a a Jewish presence in that space like this before. And, um, you know, I've I've done a a certain amount of like historical research and knowledge of like Jewish history of the Lower East Side. And just seeing that here in the context of having it be in the DC universe is so exciting.
1: Thank you. Um, Yeah, I had researched the history of the Lower East Side. I mean, I grew up going to the Lower East Side. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the neighborhood of Downriver in Whistle, is kind of most like the Lower East Side maybe in the 1980s, mm-hmm. in that it's not yet gentrified in the way that the Lower East Side is right now. Um, and, you know, it's, it's graffiti covered um, in a way that I remember from my childhood. And I had done this research for another project and I found out so many interesting things about the history of that neighborhood. There were, there were 500 synagogues there at one point. There were people from Eastern Europe, but also, also from other parts of Europe who are coming and making new homes there. There were waves of immigration, you know, from little before the turn of the century. Um, you know, up, you know, for another like 30, 40 years. And the face of the neighborhood changed as those people, you know, different types of people came in. Um, I've been on, you know, tours of the Lower East Side. I, I wouldn't call myself an expert because I'm not a historian, but I have spent a lot of time thinking about right. that neighborhood and I love right. it. And I go to it and I've been going to it since I was, you know, um, born. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I just wanted to put it into Gotham and, and see what was going on. I mean, I think there are many other neighborhoods in New York that have different cultural histories that might also translate beautifully into Gotham, um, you know, maybe by other writers. um, And I would love Mm -hmm. to see that too. Uh, And, you know, it is, it's the Lower East Side and it's also heightened because it's suffering from, um, you know, a series of very strange attacks that are, um, happening to, uh, basically ruin the community centers of the area. So the, the, um, the library and the synagogue and the mosque and the church and, you know, the neighborhood community center, those are all getting, um, covered with mysterious plants that choke them and prevent access and basically ruin those buildings and prevent people from using them. So, there's this kind of super powered mystery that's happening
0: I the just like the synagogue for example like I, I literally recognize it I mean I you know I think I think the uh, artist uh, Manuel did just really splendid work but like did you guys have like reference images from yeah start? yeah we, we definitely yeah. had
1: reference images we had a lot of, of Pinterest sharing that we did um, for the clothes um, for the characters for the dogs And yes, also for the Lower East Side, including um, the Eldridge Street Synagogue and some others as well.
0: It's just so exciting seeing that in that neighborhood. I, um, you know, I, 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 I think that there's some fans who have like headcanons around there being people of Jewish ancestry and like Bruce Wayne's background. And I'm not interested in like having a having that in there, per se, because like that doesn't feel like a jewish story that i recognize in any way like i like don't want it to be like oh yeah global elites right (laughs) um um. so i i I just feel like there hasn't really been a jewish connection to the space and you know i'm people people fans will argue and get into lots of arguments about like is gotham new york city you know according to some old dc comics maps from like the 70s gotham is in new jersey which means it's like might as well be new york city but we also literally have New York City and DC Comics, because they set the Teen Titans there, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, with the Wilfman-Perez run. And I've always been someone who's been like, Gotham isn't New York. Like, look at the architectural style. I think it's really more Chicago. Also, leave me alone. But like, you have like, you know, like, we're not like that. Gotham's like not a place I want to live. <laughs> But like you, you've created a, a a real feeling of a neighborhood here that is compelling that people would want to save and fight for, and like so. I'm also like for the first time, I'm like, yeah, Gotham's New York. I don't have to be like, yeah, it's Chicago, go away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I hadn't thought so carefully about whether whether Gotham was was New York. I think I've always just assumed that Gotham was Gotham and and held within it the multitudes, you know, or, mm-hmm. uh, or, and therefore that could also be a Lower East Side type neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about going back to what you were saying earlier about the, the sort of space for Jewish people in the, in the Gotham city narrative? I mean, Harley Quinn is Jewish. Yep. And to me, that, that's the character that's come up the most in the conversations that I've been having about whistle. Um, because, you know, Whistle is officially the first Jewish hero to launch as Jewish in the DC pantheon since 1977. But Harley is, of course, the most um popular Jewish character in all of comics. And yeah. um she's still technically a villain, um, but is engaging in a lot of heroics in recent movies. Um, and elsewhere um, in some comics that I've read as well. So um, I think she's in a kind of interesting, slippery place where we can't um, necessarily say whether she is um, a hero or a villain. Um, But according to, yes, she is officially Jewish and was originated in the the 90s um, as voiced by Arlene Sorkin, who was a Jewish comedian.
0: Yeah, and they just didn't make it canonical until much later. And, like, it was sort of driven by, like, us being, like, you know, the voice, the performance, it feels, and character, like, this sort of resonates for us. But, yeah, they didn't, sort of like her being bi, like, people felt it a long time before it became a canonical, like, thing, basically. Yeah.
1: And and one of the things that was great for me as a creator is that I was not writing within the DC canon. I was just invited to create something outside of the canon, which gave me, you know, wiggle room to link Whistle's origin story to her relationship to the Riddler, for example, Mm -hmm. and to give a backstory to the Riddler that is not canonical backstory and to take Poison Ivy's canonical backstory and tweak it for my own purposes. Um, so, um, You know, there was just a a really wonderful freedom to like play in that sandbox, but just make of it what I I wanted to make and what was going to work best for my story.
0: And just to be clear to any listeners who are having a moment about like Batwoman, Kate Kane being Jewish, like, yes, like when she was relaunched, she was relaunched to be deliberately Jewish, but also like that wasn't she existed in like a golden age comics and like wasn't portrayed as Jewish in those. So this yeah, is like a Yeah, so sort of retrofitted or, or reworked. Yeah. Um,
1: and that's true yeah. for Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, mm-hmm. and for Zatanna
0: um, as well. And that's in Bombshells only. So it's like, you know, we, yeah. we have a dearth. We have a dearth. I um you know, it's interesting also just like thinking about a lot of, you know, like Marvel is so strongly associated with, you know, Jewish comics culture because of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. But like- it's, you know, it's it took a while for there to be canonical Jewish characters rather than just subtextual Jewish characters, you know, there as well. Um, so I think this is really exciting. Uh, you know, like having is so DC's like they're having a whole line of, I guess, non main canon original graphic novels um, that they're bringing in sort of new writers, new outside, like from YA authors sort of talent to, mm-hmm. to write. And this sort of seems like it's part of this is like part of that. That whole thing, yes, right?
1: definitely. I mean, they brought in. Um... Oh, I was just looking up on my bookshelves, and and they're not <laughs> where I thought they were. Um, <laughs> they brought in that Marika Tanaka uh, yeah. did um, Harley Quinn, and Maggie Steve Otter did Swamp Thing, and Lauren Miracle did Catwoman. And there the a lot of them. I think it's really, oh, really beloved Yeah, Cammy well. Garcia's ra- Raven yeah. and um, the Beast Boy, she also did. Her new one comes out next month, which is called uh-huh. Beast Boy Loves Raven. And um, yeah, Cammy is wonderful and um, really tells a great YA story um, in this DC space, I think. Um, so yeah, they brought in all of these um established YA novelists and invited them to create stories about these characters when they were young um, without any confines, or, you know, without any fealty to um, continuity. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of freedom given to all these creators. And um, so Whistle is part of that, except for that She's a new hero instead of Mm -hmm. a reinvention of an existing hero.
0: And that's, I mean, that's, that's really exciting. I, you know, people always worry that continuity, comics continuity would, will be like the barrier that young people will have to entry in, into reading comics. And so like, I I totally understand like the desire for there to be a YA and especially original graphic novel because like nobody young is picking up random floppies at a store it's unmanageable um to like have that be sort of an entry point into the dc universe for young people makes a lot of sense to me you know yeah
1: and there were a number of of like small but i think really smart choices that they made um to make these comics accessible to maybe first time graphic novel readers um or first time superhero comic readers. Um, so, you know, the um, it uses sentence case instead of all caps, for example, throughout the whole line. And there were a number of kind of careful choices made about, you know, being sure to have establishing shots and being sure to, um, you know, change, make sure you don't change location in the middle of a page turn, some things like that where, if you are a fully facile, experienced reader of comics, you don't need to be taken along through that orientation in the same way um, that you might if you haven't encountered this form very often. Um, That's such a smart
0: thing to do. Like, So yeah. how did they like go over that with you as you were working on the script? Or
1: they, Mostly they gave me, they basically have a Comics 101 class that I attended. And they also sent me a wonderful lecture by uh, Jean Liu and Yang um, about writing comics. That was also geared towards you know some of the writers who were working on comics for the first time, coming in from other disciplines. Um, and so, and then they yeah, and and they also just talked about like and just way, you know a few tricks and tools, so to speak, to you know make sure that the script I was writing would be legible um, for a less experienced comics reader.
0: It's so interesting just because like I I don't remember learning how to read comics, but it really is a a barrier to a lot of folks. So it's smart to...
1: I remember not being able to read comics. I remember Mm. getting hold of my uncle's comic books and not knowing whether to go left, right, or up, down, because the panels were not, it wasn't clear to me. I just didn't, I don't know. Like, I was completely flummoxed by, you know, a splash page, or a half, you know, a half page, or I don't know, I, it it seems almost impossible now. But I remember, I
0: remember not knowing how. Hmm. So how, how did you get into comics yourself? There's um, a collection or?
1: Yeah, well, my uh, my uncle used to take me and my cousins to this um, comic book store in Seattle. I think it's still there, Golden Age Collectibles and Pike Place Market. And we would go and there would be, they had a lot of used comics in these, you know, cardboard bins. And they were like 10 cents each. And there were, you know, bins and bins of like Richie Rich and Little Lulu and Archie and... Um, Josie and the Pussycats and stuff like that. And that's what where I gravitated as a, you know, female identified 11 year old. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted stories about high school hijinks and stuff like that, comedy. Um, but my uncle was buying Fantastic Four and Batman and X-Men and Spider-Man and um, Incredible Hulk. And so, and I was just a huge reader. And so we would go back and, you know, like lie on our stomachs on the, on the living room rug and I'd read all mine and then I'd read all my cousins and then I would read my uncles. And so I, you know, I just grew up reading those and, um, and my dad, who wasn't like a, a buyer of new comics or used comics, nonetheless had the complete EC horror comics collection which was a large format hardcover like bound collection of everything that EC ever published vault of horror crypt of terror all of those oh, books yeah. and I read all of those because his house had like I don't know books of like 19th century poetry and then that so that is what <laughs> Sounds I was like my kind of guy when I was in yeah. my dad's house and um so I, I had a pretty decent comic book uh, education that way.
0: that's awesome, yeah, and you know as a writer of y a like did you ever think about like bringing those skills to comics or
1: oh I mean, when I first graduated from college, I really wanted to write um for for comics. um I was subscribing to a couple of comics at at that point that first year out of college. But it just seemed impossible. Like I couldn't figure out how on earth I might have even made a first step towards that career. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I couldn't even figure out how one be- would begin. Um, I think that is much easier for young people who are interested in comics now, you know, because there is so much uh, self-publishing on the internet. There are classes you can take, there's so much you can learn, but there was no internet back then. So I didn't know yeah. how to get started. And, and then when I became a YA novelist, you know, I started reading some of the graphic stuff that's out there um, as it was beginning to become popular. And it was very thrilling, you know. Um, you know, uh, I keep talking about Jean Yang. I read um, American Born Chinese and, um, you know, I read Fun Home and uh, various other uh, graphic works, um, some for younger kids, some for adults, um, most of which were made by writer illustrators. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I don't draw, I just don't draw. And so I felt for a long time, like I didn't quite, again, still didn't know what my way in would be since I was not an artist. Um, and So this invitation just felt like, you know, being under the right tree at the right time and having an apple hit me on the head, you know? We're like, you may do this, do it, and we will give you an artist who knows what he's doing.
0: Uh, (laughs) His stuff was really great. I, um, I find that for some of the, for some of the YA, audience comics i don't love the art but i'm also not the audience and i'm like very clear to people like it's okay that i don't like it i'm old and it isn't for me
1: <laughs> but what is the quality that you're not liking in it
0: um i don't like stuff that's like too much like the style of i'm blanking on the artist's name but like the dragon ball z guy like i'm not anti like manga influence but there's a certain amount of manga cartoonishness that i just don't find like attractive Uh um and there's a certain amount of cartooniness that sometimes i just feel like i'm might be good for a comic strip but i miss having a more rich detailed setting when it's uh, a comic sort of superhero story Uh uh-huh
1: yeah i can see that
0: and I think you, I think Manuel did a really great job of like threading the needle of like something which is really rich and detailed to look at and appeals to me like an old person who like grew up reading, you know, like reading like Bronze Age superhero books, but that I think will also speak to younger readers and not and like look fresh and 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 um, contemporary.
1: Yeah, I felt like he was just a great fit because when I don't fall in love with comic book art the thing that I think I'm not falling in love with is when it doesn't feel emotional Hmm. you know I mean I think there's some artists out there who can make things look immensely cool um, and I appreciate that but for my own stories you know my priority is going to always be um, somebody who's going to bring out the relationships and, and the feelings. Um, I want, I want to take people on an emotional journey, you know? And so, Mm um, that's why I was particularly psyched to get him. I had read Oracle code and I thought he did a really beautiful job, um, with Barbara Gordon, uh, as a character and conveying, um, you know, this very tricky and very emotional position she's in in that book. Um, and so I was psyched to, to get him on board.
0: That's really great. Um, with the, the character design work for Willow, um, like how did you sort of develop her, like, like physical look and then her superhero get up?
1: Um, her basic physical look, I just described in the, in the, uh, in the script, um, which was really just that she's, um. She's short and average weight and has curly hair and a great profile. Um, And I just wanted her, in other words, not to look in any way um, unspecific. I wanted her to, like, be very clearly herself. um, Mm -hmm. And um, eh, sometimes when people illustrate teenage girls, there's, like, a kind of a default to a certain kind of traditionally accepted, good-looking ideal, uh, even in some of the most amazingly meaningful, awesomely done comics. Um, Not always, but I have seen that. And so I just wanted him to, you know, I wanted whatever artist I had to push past that a little bit to like try to create a person who was like very specific, Um, but the costume was super, super fun because we were like, We're inventing a superhero costume. What is she gonna wear? (laughs) And how is how can we have it be like believable that she's like found this costume and put it together on no budget? Because I'm (laughs) sorry, Spider Man, but I just do not believe you were that good a sewer. And um uh But, you know, this is one of those areas where you often have to suspend your disbelief about how quickly people can change clothing and how they manage to get this like really amazing fabric to cling to their body so perfectly. Um, But we wanted it to be in some ways realistic that this, you know, quirky kid with her like interest in vintage shopping and her, you know, kind of newfound fashion sense, uh, you know, that she would put this together and decide to wear it. Um, on the budget that she has, which is pretty small. And Mm -hmm. we wanted her to look, like, powerful and cool and at the same time not necessarily be showing tons of muscle and skin. Um, We wanted her to look young. Um, You know, I had, like, a list of, like, 1,700 things that I wanted for this outfit, and uh, Manuel was really game like he was just so nice he was like how about this and I was like no how about this no how about this no and then I would send him all these pictures on Pinterest and people who want to go to Pinterest I'm not I I don't do that much on Pinterest but I I have done a lot in the past and there's a lot of boards that you can look at including boards for Whistle for Poison Ivy for the Riddler Um, and you can see also boards for the neighborhood with the Lower East Side references and stuff like that um on pinterest at Elock art books um
0: so i sent all. i these will pictures. include that in the show notes because i think that would be super cool to look at
1: oh yeah i think it's i think it's it's pretty fun um and so you know it was everything from uh like uma thurman's tracksuit in kill bill to um, um to some images of rihanna and Gigi hadid also in like really cool looking tracksuits um to images of athletes, uh, speed skaters, Simone Biles, um, you know, people who were wearing um, figure hugging outfits that were made them look like, like superheroes to me, like powerful um, looking, but actual people um, in these clothes um, who were actually athletes. And I loved those images as well. Um, I think we had like some Taylor Swift pictures in there. We had all kinds of hmm. stuff and we just kind of, he just kept drawing and he tried a million different color combinations and we had a little, um, posse of, of 13 and 14 year old female people who, uh, got on Zoom with me and I showed them all these different images and they talked about what they liked and what they thought was cool and what they thought oh, was dorky. Neat um so they were a big help as well and eventually we settled on this outfit and we also wanted people to be able to cosplay it you know I mean in my dreams right people are cosplaying my character this has not happened yet and I doubt it will happen this Halloween or this Comic-Con but maybe in the future and we wanted uh people to be able to you know sort of peg this outfit it's like a white tracksuit with black details and orange sneakers and hair up in a top knot. Um, so and it's really it cool. Be, yeah.
0: I, I love like the the scene of her considering different costume options, which is really, you know, it's a classic like comic superhero trope now, but like with reason, like it works. But I also love that her like shopping, her, her, vin- her shopping montage with Pam <laughs> yeah. is like vintage shopping montage. like recognize like it's not just any vintage stores it's the vintage stores that only get the good stuff and i'm like yep that's where i go because i don't have time to dig through goodwill right now it was like the most relatable shopping montage of any comic and her (laughs) clothes resulting from it are fabulous like they're actually with it you know and cool and, and unique they're not like generic either you know a lot of personality in the costuming which is so important
1: Thank you. Yeah, we spent we did work on the clothes a lot, like, the the, again, a lot of Pinterest um, and consulting with uh, young people that I know to make sure that, you know, that we were finding clothes that would be,
0: you know, cool, basically. Consulting with young people sounds really wise for this sort of endeavor. We can only know so much, you know. Yeah. I can tell a
1: story by myself, but I can't, I can't pick an outfit for a teenager.
0: Mm. Um, So you have a lot of exciting appearances from various DC villains in this story, um, including some like, you know, background shot uh, appearances as well. But, Mm -hmm. um, with the uh, the superhero choices, like, I, I really like the idea of, you know, Riddler, this is a mild spoiler, but really hardly, um, you know, having been like a college friend of her mom's and like having that connection, because that's the kind of thing you would have in a city, you know, where people do know each other from school, and like, they have that history together. H- how did you decide on, on him as the primary character to have that, you know, backstory with?
1: I just really like, I just like the Riddler. (laughs) I like the wordplay, and you know, I was thinking, what can I, you know, who can I, who can I bring something to, right? And I thought I can probably find some good wordplay. I like that sort of thing. Um, You know, I felt like I just, I just felt like I could do something with him, and I thought he was an interesting. You know I thought a lot about that that trope of of the dark mirror right what character how is how is the villain the dark mirror of the hero right? what is it about the villain that strikes at some vulnerability in the hero right? how is it that the villain is who the hero might turn out to be, and what my version of the Riddler has is um Money and, and a sense of joy also that comes with, you know, I mean, that's who the Riddler is, right? He's looking for the fun in everything. Um, and he doesn't really care who gets hurt in his pursuit of this fun. And, um, at the start of the book, Willow is not having any fun, right? She's trying to be a good person. 24-7, and it's really hard with her mother sick from cancer and, you know, huge problems in her neighborhood. Um, she, d- you know, does barely even has time to, you know, go out with the boy she likes. She, she's supporting her family. And when she encounters the, the Riddler, he's offering her a job. That is not just a job that will pay her, you know, six times what she's making working nights at the animal shelter. It's going to give her a party to go to every night that she works and a taste of glamour and beautiful food. And, um, it's very, very, um, alluring, um, mm-hmm. as it would be probably to any teenager. And so, you know, this, this is, uh, the, you know, the the temptation for willow right is is the 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 party and the wealth of the underworld um and it certainly grabs hold of her for a while um so i was i was interested in 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 that right in in having a villain who who would be appealing to my heroine and that's the other reason i chose poison ivy is this, i mean the same reason i chose poison yeah. ivy Right. I mean, she's a PhD botanist. Right. She's super glamorous. She's like every every, you know, ambitious young person's role model, um, except for the fact that she's, you know, committing some atrocities against people. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But she's she's an activist. Right. Exactly. And and so she's so appealing. So I was interested in, in that. Right. In the in the villains who would. Who. My heroine would would see her a little of herself in and who would offer something to her that would be hard to refuse.
0: Well, you know, one thing that gets me thinking and like hardcore poison Ivy stands, please do not come at me because this is one interpretation of it is like, there is an interesting parallel between the poison Ivy of this story, who is basically a nihilist when it comes to like humans on the planet. I mean, she says like, she's basically like, you know, we're just, we should just give up on humans, for the planet and just focus on saving animals because, you know, f is fuck the humans like we're poison. And that's sort of like, e- you know, eco fascist mm-hmm. stuff gets said by real people in, in, in the real world. But there's also, you know, the way she's using plants to uh, destroy community spaces. has an interesting connection to like some of the fights that we have around gentrification. Like there's always this, like, I hate the way communities are played against each other where like if you're saying you want green space, then you're saying, well, then we can't do any additional building of affordable housing when actually like we need and can do both of those things. But um, the way some of those tensions between the need for green space can sometimes get used as an excuse to not build and therefore not like help people find housing, or like it. It this it, it sort of shows how complex that is in an urban environment.
1: Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, we're both New Yorkers, right? So we yeah. both see this uh, these conversations happening at a local level, as well as reading about them in the news at national level. You know, um, and. You know, the conversations about gentrification are, I think, ongoing and complicated, right? There's the green Mm -hmm. space versus the affordable housing. And then there's also, you know, there are terrible things and benefits that gentrification brings to a community. And, you know, there are bad people um, who don't care about things and good people who end up putting themselves or people who think of themselves as do-gooders who put themselves right in the pockets of those people who don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, it becomes super complicated. And I don't pretend to like be, you know, um your best source of information on it. But I was interested in dramatizing some of that because I was trying to create a neighborhood superhero, right? Somebody who's thinking about You know, she's not there to save all of Gotham City or the whole planet. She's working on just trying to make her neighborhood better, safer, you know, with, you know, better access to education and to keep the community centers open and to keep people from losing their homes. And so thinking about, yeah, Poison Ivy's mission and the Riddler's kind of gentrification projects and how those might ally with each other um uh and turn into a sort of monstrous project. Um you know, it was just a very natural fit from thinking about the concerns of somebody who's, you know, who's focused on the neighborhood.
0: Yeah. And you, you know, you you have they also sort of, you know, going having them check out City City West Gotham, which I was like, oh, is that 14th and 8th Avenue? Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that was 14th and 8th Avenue
1: oh, I don't know where that is. I just made that up. But I, but I feel like you probably, I'm like, is that
0: Reminiscence Vintage? But like, yeah. like the, the <laughs> Oh, places I did in the spend
1: f- a lot of time at Reminiscence Vintage in
0: my day. Ah, there we are. <laughs> um, But yeah, I mean, I think that this is like an interesting, politically rich, complex story that will, you know, speaks to me. And I think it would have spoken to me as a teen activist, like a lot as well. And, you know, I, you actually even have like a counselors, not cops, like, theme happening from the early protests in the stories like I wanted Mm -hmm. I think I was not allowed to share that page for spoiler stuff at the time but I was like I want to post this screenshot with the hashtag counselors not cops because I like like make the road New York was like literally and like Rockaway Youth Alliance before they dissolved but like they were like literally running a campaign on this and like she is talking about how there aren't enough school counselors in her school and like too much bad policing, like, in the comic. So
1: Willow's activism is really based on teenagers that I know um, now, Uh, teenagers that I I hang out with regularly, and also teenagers that I meet when I've been lucky enough to go, you know, out to book festivals or out on tour. And those teenagers are, are really socially conscious and are really activists and have nuanced understandings of um different potential solutions to the problems um that are facing um them and their families in their communities and when I was a teenager I just like wanted to get the lead in the school play and like you know get a certain boy to like me and go to a party like that's all I was interested in and that's where I was at and it's really amazing to me to see um how awake to the world um, so many of the teenagers are that I encounter. And there's a lot to complain about the internet, but people are not asleep about this stuff anymore. And they are encountering news stories all the time. And it has made many of them care more and take action when they're really young. And I just love it and admire it and wanted to put it in a book.
0: Well actually you remind me of the really wonderful love interest character you've written for for Willow. Um I, I he's like great. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, want to talk about you... a little bit more <laughs> about the inspiration of him like showing up and being like actually no I'm like new to this country and I do not know what a Ruben is. So I was like yeah, that's a good point. Good point there.
1: <laughs> well, um he, do you recognize his name?
0: Yes, I do.
1: Well, so, you know, I have long-term plans for this character, and I gave her a boyfriend who um, may have some superpower secrets of his own. And so some of his backstory, um, you know, lines up with the superpower character that he is, um, which is not revealed or even delved into in this first whistle book, Um, but it's there. For future use. And um, so, you know, again, out of continuity, I was able to take Beast Boy and um, stick him in this high school and um, think about, you know, the backstory that DC has for him and how I could, you know, repurpose that to create a character, um, you know that that willow would fall for
0: yeah yeah i just like i i love i love their conversations and um i think like having someone who grew up in lagos and is sort of like that's a real city let me tell you about that is like an interesting because the u.s can be very much like the u.s idea of africa is really backwards like American folks who don't have family in Africa seem to think that like people in Africa live in like the past or something when like they have lots of very modern big cities that have like cool stuff that we don't even have um so I, I appreciate getting that the hint from him and his own like yeah background
1: there yeah and he's you know he's like you know that Gotham is weird right they're like <laughs> oh there's this crocodile guy in the loose who's like killing people and he's like I like your Rubens but you know what? This other stuff is pretty weird, right? And they're yeah. like, oh, so we, is it? we're used to it.
0: We don't actually have a crocodile <laughs> problem in Lagos. I just need you to know that that's not a thing we deal with. It's only here that this stuff is going on. Yeah. Um so you know, with this being its own sort of Oh, and we haven't even talked about dogs yet. So it's oh, yeah, interesting the about the thing with so I like you knew you wanted it to be dog powers from pretty much right up right off. Right off the bat, like, what, what drew you to that choice?
1: Well, I mean, I could definitely be accused of putting talking dogs in books at every opportunity. Um, <laughs> I do just, it's an ongoing, I guess, fantasy of mine. Like, I think from childhood, like, what if my pets could talk to me? Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, I think it's that basic for me. Um, but um, it is a sustaining interest of mine, like human, animal relationships and connections and dogs in particular and you know basically if i was going to get to be a superhero the first thing i would want for myself it's a talking great dane with whom hmm. to do my superheroics. and so it was a very natural step from oh she's going to have a talking great dane to um well she has dog related superpowers that mind meld her with this great dane so that she can talk to it and from there to having a superpowered whistle, who calls an army of dogs, which calls an army of dogs, right? So that is basically um the biggest part of whistle superpower. And I didn't know anything about rat catcher until I saw Suicide oh, the Suicide Squad. Right. And I was like well, nobody oh, well, this else is did clearly I know. the best superpower <laughs> ever. Like they, they it's all down to the rat catcher too. Um, in the suicide squad. So uh, that felt great to me. I was like, uh, you know, a little sad that somebody else could magically call all these animals, but I felt like I was completely right that this is an extra awesome superpower and that, you know, the only thing that would be better than rats is dogs. So there you go. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so to me that, and then I did do some research, you know, to figure out if there was space for this. Um, you know, I had the idea for a Jewish superhero. I had the idea for a canine-related superhero. And I dove, you know, as deep as I could into the Internet to see if people had really already done this and I needed to d- dig further for a fresh idea. And um, the answer is no. I mean, there's lots of superhero pets, but there's not a single female superhero dog in the universe. Right. And um, there are not a lot of dog-related heroes, or there's no one who has really reached any ascendancy. Um, There was definitely room, I think, to play around with it in the way that I wanted to. Um, And so from there, I just kind of followed my own impulses, and it seemed natural that, you know, if you had dog-related powers, you would have a heightened sense of smell, and that you would have um, heightened hearing, and that those two things would really make, you know, give you the potential to be an excellent detective. Um, mm. and Gotham superheroes often have some kind of, you know, detective drive to them. And, um, then I also thought about, uh, you know, if you became doggy, in some way, right? This would be interesting as an adolescent female that it would maybe be sometimes embarrassing or awkward to have these urges. And, you know, I mean, this is not a new idea that, that the emergence of superpowers are analogous to adolescence, right? Uh, we've seen this played out a, a lot of times, but I think it's really fruitful And it was interesting to me to think, you know, what would it what would it be like to have that those kinds of dog urges, um, you know, in the street, in the hallways of your high school? And, you know, just like with puberty, right? How do you take this somewhat freaky stuff that's happening to your body and embrace it and find the power in it?
0: Yeah, I love it. I mean... There's a reason teen superheroes are a thing um, with those ways. <laughs> yeah. and, but the other thing that I think you tackled, interestingly, is I would I'm always scared with animal stuff because like I can't deal with animals being in jeopardy. Like, it's just like and like, I think you did a really good job of having like the dogs come and help her. But in a way where I wasn't like, the puppy's going to get hurt. Um,
1: yeah, we, we had a that. we had a sensitivity reader specifically for dog violence. Oh, that's so smart. We did. And, um, and yeah, yeah, because yeah, understandably, I mean, people are, are very triggered by that and it can really put them off, um, a story they might not otherwise love. So, um, Leibovitz definitely gets in on the action and, um, is heroic, but, um, Yes. No dogs are hurt in this story. And and there's also, you know, all these other dogs, you know, basically dogs that can get off their leashes in Gotham City. A little team of of heroic Yorkshire Terriers um, shows up and a a number of other larger dogs um, who come at uh, the sound of the whistle.
0: Yeah. Teamwork, certainly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I love that she checks with them. She's like, you guys all know how to get home, right? And they're like, yep. <laughs> like, this is the kind of thing I would worry about. I like, know, me oh, too. I like, couldn't let home. her just let them off, you know, without...
1: They've come off all the way to a strange neighborhood to do heroic things. They need to be able hmm. to get home safely.
0: I, I also, you know, like, Gotham has had a, a lot of teen superheroes. I don't just mean Robin, but like, spoiler, Right. And I, I, I'm sort of thinking, like, it's great that you have this pocket of um, space where you can have just so much more creativity to tell the story you want and have to worry about continuity. But it would be also cool to have, you know, how, like, Harley Quinn started in the TV show and ended up in comics. Like, it would be neat. Like, to, I would love to see this story continue as its own thing separately with, where you can do whatever you want. But it would be cool to see her interacting in the the main DC world as well um yes
1: i would get a kick out of that for sure
0: yeah um i mean and one of the choices i mean i actually should ask you was it your choice to have batman not appear in this or was that part of like the math for what dc wanted that was dc's choice
1: i mean yeah i'm not sure it was that was clear at the outset that Mm -hmm. um that it was probably best to leave batman out of it um But also, Batman casts a long, pointy shadow, yep. and he's a lot to reckon with, and there would have to be a lot of explaining about why he wasn't helping, and or where he would have to help, or, you know, what was he doing? Was he off at the, you know, with the Justice League, or then was he, why would he be neglecting this bad stuff in Gotham City? Like, it was sort of better to just... Not weigh the story down with a lot of explanations about whether why Batman was here or there or what he was up to. Do you know what I mean?
0: Like mm-hmm. it was, I mean, it, so it was yeah. partly
1: a streamlining issue and it was partly a, a way to let this character, um, you know, shine. emerge on, yeah, yeah, shine and emerge in, in, in her own, um, without putting her in relation to not only the bat, but the whole bat group and
0: family there's a ton of people who are fans of the quote-unquote bat fam as it were who would Mm -hmm. tell you that like bruce is like the character they care about least and they most want to see everybody else around it you know so i I think that's a great choice like it does free up the storytelling and it's he's ultimately like a lot of the core readers like he's not necessarily what the everyone wants anyway true i didn't know that yeah. I mean, I'm sure it depends what part of fandom you're hanging out with or what have you, but like, I just see so many people who are just like, there's like the hardcore Poison Ivy folks. There's like the bat, the, the, um, the Robins, like the, the hardcore fans of the various Robins, mm-hmm. you know, anybody who's like a big fan of like spoiler, aka Stephanie Brown is like, fuck you, Batman. You try to keep my girl down. You know, I mean, so, and, and there are people who are just straight up fans of the setting of Gotham itself and, um, don't want to have to have that ongoing conversation about why does Batman do this? Why doesn't Batman do that? It's like, no, we just want to be in this like really cool sort of Gothic noir location. Right. I think that's, that's where I am. You know,
1: I, I, and I think, I think reading about Gotham city has always helped me make sense of the city that I really live in right like Mm. it's because New York is intense and it's creepy and it's weird and it's amazing and it's theatrical and it's sexy and it's you know you can eat your way from the top to the bottom and never be done um but uh, but it's a lot to process it's a lot to process living here I think and um there's many, many ways to process it, but thinking about Gotham City is a particularly enjoyable one,
0: you know. And you do a lot of food. There's like so much wonderful New York food in this. So. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of uh, you know traditionally Jewish food, bagels and Reubens and whatnot. But there's also the the bubble tea shops of
0: Gotham, mm-hmm. and so on, and the juice bars. Only the finest. <laughs> well. Let, uh, let our listeners know um, where they can where they can pick up Whistle. I mean, pretty much every bookstore, right? Yeah, pretty much every bookstore. Um,
1: yeah, should be easy to find. Um, it's in bookstores as of today. And um, they can find out more about me um, on Twitter or on Instagram, Elokhart. Oh, but, yeah. What are books. your...
0: Sorry, what what is your handle on Twitter? Um, Twitter
1: is just Elokhart and Instagram is Elokhart Books.
0: Is it no space, no underscore? Everything, just one simple word. I see it. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. And, you know, I just, it's just so funny. Like, I was like, yes, this is 100% my stuff. And it totally was. And thank you for coming on to talk about it with me and, and really w- hoping for great success for this comic. You know, I'm, I'm interviewing you on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. And I keep thinking about like, we don't really have a Rosh Hashanah gift tradition, obviously, but like, if we did, this would be, you know, like a lovely gift. I mean, you know, it's never too early to get ready to shop for Hanukkah for the kids. And, um, you know, it could be a lovely comics reading gift of like Jewish relevance and comics nerdiness for young people in your life.
1: <laughs> that's lovely of you to say. Um, it was a treat to talk to you. I mean, you have such uh, a deep read on it. And um, that's always a treat for an author.
0: Oh, thank you. Oh, and just, Mary, right, what, what is the general age range that's like, because I, I, I'm useless at knowing. That. Oh, like, it's young I...
1: adult, which generally means 12 and up. But I think gotcha. it's. Like, I would say it's 10 and up. There's nothing in it Mm -hmm. that would overwhelm a 10-year-old in terms of content.
0: Good, good. Thank you for the pro tip. Yeah. And as for me, I will continue to be on Twitter a little bit too much at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. Um, For listeners of the uh, Deep Space Dive podcast I do on the site, our Star Trek DS9 podcast, there is a new episode coming up soon, and I am continuing to just post them on the same RSS um, but wanted a heads up, folks, that uh, Star Trek is going to be off of the um, Netflix at the end of September. So you're going to have to have your backup plans for continuing your your DS9 consumption habits. Um, anything else? I I believe that's it. I guess I'll be back on Progressively Horrified to talk about the um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies reporter other October, but mostly here I am at Graphic Policy Radio, comics podcast at the intersection of comics and politics. Uh Please check out and review the show on whatever podcast platform you listen to most. We're probably on it. And as we like to say, keep it geeky.